Welcome, everyone, to another Tez Talks radio episode where we seek to find the why behind the latest Tezos news and discover the stories behind the people of Tezos. Um, I'm your host, William McKenzie of Tezos Commons. And today we have our other co host, Brian Lee of Tezos Commons, as well as Vishek of Cryptonomic Tech. Uh, guys, how's everything going? It's going good. Uh, really happy to be here talking to you guys about Tezos. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I just moved into this brand new space just last week. So this is the first podcast I'm doing. It's impossible to work at home with a baby. So I had to get this space. I hope you guys enjoy this background. It's, it's, it's not a green screen. It's a real space. Yeah. So I, I guess we can just go ahead and get into it, guys. Um... Vishak, would you like to kind of get into your background a little bit? Uh, maybe explain your journey into crypto and how you ended up where you are now. Sure. Yeah. So um, I've I've been looking at crypto and blockchains for quite some time. So originally, um, you know, I, I was a, I studied computer science. Um, I did a degree in machine learning. And then I got a job on Wall Street here. I, I work with uh, credit derivative pr products, working on risk and pricing. Uh, and I spent quite a few years on Wall Street. And, you know, it, it, it was nice. It was an interesting time. But at the same time, I saw the financial system up close. Uh, obviously, it's got a lot of really interesting aspects. But there was, as a, you know, at my, at my core, I'm a CS person, right? So I saw so many missed opportunities in my eyes, the way operations were being conducted and the way, uh, you know, even something as complex as derivatives were being traded. And, you know, I started my finance industry career in 2007, like early 2007. So I was there to watch the, the, the whole collapse last time, the last time around. And that did have a big impact on me. And because of that, blockchains have, and blockchain technology has had a real fascination for me. So, you know, like many other people, I heard about Bitcoin in the early days. Like many other people, I was initially skeptical. You know, I, I remember the day Bitcoin hit a dollar in price and I was astounded, oh, but then it went back down and, and so on. But there was something really alluring about it. And I always say that the production of the Bitcoin gen Genesis block was a political act, right? Because it refers to the Financial Times headline about the bailout of 2008, which I saw at close quarters. So uh, that, that hope or that, that vision for creating a better, more inclusive, more transparent financial system is something that really spoke to me. So I, I, I did, you know, I, I, nothing special about my journey in that respect. I did what a lot of other people have done. I mined a lot. I played around with the technology. Uh, when Ethereum was coming out, I was quite excited. Uh, People at that time, you know, they saw some potential in MasterCoin, Namecoin, and Ethereum was sort of the culmination of that. Uh, so in the really early days of Ethereum, with some good friends of mine, we worked on some Ethereum-related projects, especially in 2005. I think we were, we were probably the first people to publicly come out with a financial implementation on Ethereum. So we, we put out a couple of uh, medium articles, some code about running a derivative on Ethereum. But there was all this stuff going on, you know, and uh, it was interesting. It really occupied a lot of my free time and others' free time. But we still, 
it was difficult to leave the financial industry and go into you know the the the, the great unknown. But honestly, by two thousand seven, uh, there was a lot of maturity. And earlier, before that, when we tried to build serious products, we found a lot of limitations. But by two thousand seven, some maturity had come in, and by that point, of course, uh, the Tesla's white paper was out, and that was especially tasty, if you will. That vision that was outlined in the Tesla's paper that that was out then it was it was especially alluring because that's when the big civil wars and blockchains were going on so we saw a lot of promise in tethers and by, by we i mean me and many people around me so when the opportunity came up to work full-time in blockchain slash crypto and kind of do a little bit of this and a little bit of that by which i mean uh work on financial industry blockchain projects at the same time uh, help bring help grow and mature Tezos and bring adoption to this ecosystem. It was too alluring, too much FOMO, and uh, you know, for something like Tezos, we really wanted to be part of it from the early days. So from the early days, you know, we organized the first meetup in New York, probably one of the first meetups ever, and uh, you know, we were coding with Tezos since the day it was possible to code with Tezos. So yeah, that's that's generally. You know my right into the blockchain industry, especially Tezos. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. I don't think a lot of people realize this, but the Tezos white paper was actually written in 2014. Uh, I believe just shortly after Ethereum's initial raise. So it's kind of like some of the problems, uh, you know, in, in terms of on-chain governance and things like that, were almost guessed. You know, would eventually become problems. For Ethereum, but yeah, just um, moving off from there, um, would you like to discuss the overall vision at Cryptonomic Tech and just kind of what you all do? Yeah, so at Cryptonomic, we well, you know, we, we have our feet in two different ponds. So uh, quite a few of us at Cryptonomic have a background in the financial industry. So there's a real paucity of people who, there, there are many people who are really good at technology. There are many right. people who are really good at finance. But even today in the year 2020, it's quite, there's very few people who have dual expertise. So because of this dual expertise that we have, we're able to work in the in the traditional finance industry, kind of bring the benefits of blockchain technology and, uh, you know, do some uh, quite interesting projects there. But in the public blockchain space, we are, our primary mission right now is to make Tezos approachable and useful to developers and regular users as well. So we've been involved since the early days uh, when Tezos was about to be launched. Uh, there wasn't really a great wallet. It was unclear whether a wallet would be available on time. So on, on really short notice, we built a wallet. Uh, we got it security audited. We pushed it out. Incidentally, um, uh, officially, uh, Tezbox beat us to it by two weeks, but they weren't security audited. So we were ready, but we didn't feel comfortable pushing something out that wasn't, you know, reviewed by someone like Trail of Bits. Right. So, but, but that was quite important, I think. Uh, and we had the tooling already built uh, to, to, to build that wallet quickly. And we were able to demonstrate that this tooling that we already had for Tezos was uh, functional and valuable. And... Uh, building that wallet kind of uh, gave us a little bit of name recognition in the Tezos community. Uh, 
incidentally, uh, we, we, we were also the early funders of Tesbox and EZTZ and stuff like that. But, um, you know, so, so we realized, look, the, uh, initially there was a lot of dysfunction around the Tesla Foundation. But by the time we built the wallet, this, the new crew had come in. They were serious. They were hardworking. And they really wanted to do, do a good job. So we said, look, let's focus on Tezos. So earlier, we were multi-chain, and we wanted to kind of hedge our bets. But we put, a, put in a grant proposal. We got uh, a grant from the Tezos Foundation. And ever since, uh, all our public blockchain work has been just focused on Tezos, building every ingredient that's necessary to get people start, to start using it you know, with as little friction as possible. So besides the wallet and all the services that underpin it, we're also building a cloud service that's very Infura-like. And uh, we, we have uh, a bunch of other projects, you know, this, the, some of the projects that are coming out are related to data visualization. And, uh, you know, we're, we're also doing chain link integration. So we just have this plethora, this whole buffet of projects that together, you know, they're, they're all built in lockstep with each other. They enable people to come in either as regular users or as developers, start getting productive really quickly and be able to use Tezos. And our hope is, you know, in, in the coming months, so it's, you know, like uh, in, initially it was a bit of a challenge, new protocol, early days, something like Tezos had never been done, right? And a sort of automated on-chain upgrade had never happened. Right. So dealing with all of that, the protocol stuff, it was uh, a bit challenging, to be honest. Uh, I think we've all become a lot more mature, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it later on today. But uh, we've reached a point where there, there is a fundamental maturity and soundness to the tooling and to the core protocol. So now our, our hope is with the existing tool stack we have, we kind of turbocharge it. We try to reach the next level of professionalism so that when a new developer is coming in to the blockchain uh, sector and they look at all the options, then Tezos is as attractive as Ethereum uh, soon and maybe soon, maybe hopefully it becomes uh, even more alluring after some time. Yeah. And just going off what you said earlier about the chain link integration, I think that's definitely something a lot of people within the Tezos community would like to about so brian would you like to talk about that a little bit yeah so first of all thanks for that intro and uh, we'll definitely dive into uh, a bit more of the things that you do in depth uh later on in the podcast but yeah let's talk about Chainlink first and but first we should probably set the scene right it's 2020 uh in the summer and everyone is crazy about DeFi and how to bring uh, stuff in the real world over to the blockchain and um, Chainlink is one of the projects, uh, perhaps the leading one in the space that is working on that problem. Uh, and I believe it was back in April, you guys wrote a post about um, bringing Chainlink over to the Tezos blockchain and uh, working on that integration. So first of all, I want to get your thoughts on like the general DeFi movement right now. You know, it's very exciting and everyone wants to farm things and uh yeah so can you give us your thoughts on that and also uh, perhaps a status update on uh the integration with chainlink yeah uh so sorry you can hear new york in the background apologies but uh <laughs> defi is really interesting uh, I, I admire a lot of the work that's being done uh, 
And, and it's cool, right? Like all, all of the experimentation that we're doing, all of this, these uh, uh, intricate systems that are being built, that's really good for the evolution of the entire space. There will be mistakes made. Those mistakes will be informative. The, the maturity will come about. But to be honest, uh, so far what we have in terms of DeFi is if you look at it really, it's still quite centralized. And uh, the other thing is, I think we have like the healthy angels in my neighborhood today. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I can't even hear it actually. <laughs> oh, okay. Brilliant. So yeah. uh, the other thing is, you know, um, th- there was a reason why Tethos was especially attractive to a lot of people that worked in finance. And that's because, you know, in, in real finance, there are high stakes. Even with this wallet that we have with Galleon, some days we remind ourselves the total amount of funds that might be stored in this wallet. And it's a pretty big number, right? I don't want to guess on this podcast, but you could surmise it's a large number. And uh, it's a big responsibility. And when you're moving large amounts of money, as you do in various kinds of finance, there's an extra responsibility to build sound and robust systems. And that's why a lot of people were attracted to Tezos like the functional programming aspect, the formal verification, and the general tendency towards soundness and good system design. And uh, I, I, I don't begrudge the success of DeFi so far. I think it's great. But uh, th- there is a big concern about the the kind of foundation is being built upon. And uh, Tezos doesn't have as much DeFi action as Ethereum, but that's because to do things properly, it's a, it's a much bigger effort, right? To, do, to build yeah. things solidly from the ground up is, is, takes a lot more effort. So, you know, there, there might be some listeners of your podcast right now who are uh, maybe a little bit, uh, have turned a little bit skeptical towards Tezos. I certainly hear this sentiment a lot on uh, you know different channels, but every day the, that foundation is being a little is being built a little bit firmer. So my point is, by the time some of this DeFi type protocols or action come on Tezos, um, I, I I think you'll see it being built on a much firmer foundation, and it's going to be probably much more uh, sturdy and featureful. So that being said, uh, to build any kind of financial system including DeFi, it's really important to have market data and external data, right? In order to make, uh, in order to speculate about the world, in order to make guesstimates about the world, you need to make statements about the world, right? By consuming data from the outside. So oracles are really, really important to seeding this kind of DeFi action on the on the Tezo side. And, uh, and uh, one thing I really want to stress is, although we're working on Chainlink integration, there are many different kinds of oracles and each of them has its own strengths and weaknesses. Uh, there is a sort of no- native Oracle being built called Oro by uh, the Teshur team. And mm. we're very excited to see how that goes yeah, as well. Yeah, there's also Harbinger. Harbinger just came out. They're using, yeah. so both Oro and Harbinger are also using JS, which is one of our projects, which is widely used and has been running for the past uh, two and a half years. So I just want to shout them out as well. But Chainlink, you know, on a, on a typical day, we have, you know, um, get, getting on calls is a necessary evil part of uh, being in, a, uh, in, in an active company. So on a typical day, we have a mix of meetings, right? We can have an enterprise meeting with a Fortune 50 company. We have like our internal meetings. We have meetings with people who want to build DeFi systems. So there's a variety of different kinds of people that we talk to. 
And I'm not exaggerating. Last week, on the same day, we had four different kinds of meetings, right? Like Fortune 20 oh, company wow. to DeFi. Every single meeting organically, Chainlink came up. <laughs> we didn't mention it. Just, oh yeah, Chainlink is doing X. Chainlink is doing Y. So people have uh, different opinions about Chainlink. I've seen some, uh, yeah. uh, um, some, some talk about the cons of Chainlink as well. But as I said, every Oracle system has pros and cons. Chainlink is really, really active. And uh, without... This, this stuff I can't reveal about our private projects, but through our private projects, we see that there's some really cutting edge stuff related to, uh, you know, uh, pushing external data onto blockchains that Chainlink has really taken and taken a lead on. Mm. So when the SmartPy team approached us about kind of collaborating on bringing Chainlink to Tezos, we were really excited. Uh, SmartPy, big fans. Uh, some of our team members like to have meals with them. We're, we're, we have a good relationship. Yeah. So, uh, so we jumped on the opportunity. The Telus Foundation was game for it. They, they agreed to fund the development of this integration. And uh, it's, not been, uh, it's not been smooth sailing because it's, it's not all been smooth sailing because it is uh, a comp- complicated project. So we, we kicked it off somewhere in... I think late April, if if I remember correctly. So now we're finally seeing the first concrete uh, pieces that are useful. So I don't know if I'm allowed to reveal this or not, but soon uh, I'll say it anyway. Uh, soon there's going to be a Chainlink hackathon, and I uh, and Tezos uh, is going to participate in the sense that there's going to be representation from, uh, I believe, TC, uh, sorry, uh, TF, TQ, and definitely our team and the smart team will be helping out and uh if you're out there you're a developer you you want to get a nice bounty and and you both want to like build a cool project on tezos and also help out with this integration effort this hackathon's coming up information shall be public i apologize if i let the cat out of the bag too early but uh that, that's a good opportunity to help us test the uh, the integration we've done so far yeah but it's, it's going to take a little bit of time before you start seeing really uh mature and important feeds coming in right. on the tezos blockchain but we'll have some really fantastic tooling um hopefully uh, before the year is through and I'm just really excited to see what people build. And also with the other oracles, right? With Harbinger, Oro, right. and anything else that people are working on. Yeah, that's some great information. And I actually want to step back to something you mentioned earlier, uh, where I think there's a sentiment, not within the Tezos community specifically, but maybe like the wider uh, sector as a whole that, a lot of people see this project as moving very slow and they see that as a con. But through the research and through the thinking that I've done, you know, personally myself, I really see that as the opposite, you know. Uh, there's certainly a place in the world for, I guess, the projects that are really more like, let's move fast, let's, let's move fast and let's break things along the way. But it really depends on what you're trying to target, right? I think the, uh, the, the use cases that um, we're trying to target here is, like you said, it's very high stakes. And it's a world where maybe if you make one mistake, they're going to go with like a different choice, right? Uh, if you're trying to move so much funds across the world and then there is a mistake in your contract and then boom, all of that goes somewhere else, you know? Uh, there's really no, no 
no room for that uh, with these kinds of use cases here. And, you know, it's kind of like when you go and buy a house, you know, you just you want to go look at it. You want to go walk around the rooms, check it out a bit before you before you actually buy the house. Right. You don't just go online and you buy a house. That's not how it works. So um, I think there is a there is a time and place for uh, for a project like this one where like it is moving more slowly. Uh, but that's because we're not going like five steps ahead and going four steps back. You know, it's more, let's just go one step, one step, one step. And uh, that's that's really something I want uh, people to understand. And over the long term, I think uh, this is a really good uh, way to go about it, especially if you're going to work with entities like banks and uh, which, you know, has happened. And it's like, you really need to take things slowly because uh, one mistake, it could really affect a lot of people in a very real way. Listen, I, I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that we haven't been frustrated in the past. I'd be lying to you if I tell you, if I told you that we never had FOMO or we, we never kind of questioned our decision to focus so much on Tezos. And yeah. This has been happening over and over, right? So we were really excited about Tezos in 2017. Then the foundation, the Tezos Foundation became really dysfunctional, right? And you can read about it on, on the internet at that point. A lot of people at that point gave up on Tezos. And at that time, it was really easy to just walk away saying, ah, you know, this is never going to pan out. The, f- the foundation is dysfunctional. But we chose to stick by it. At that point, I'll, I'll give you an example. Stephen Andrews was, you know, in 2017, he was a really important part of the community, right? And he was about to like fold. He was doing some really important work at that instant of time. And he was going to fold up and he was going to leave the ecosystem. So we said, so we called up Stephen and we we're like, look, Stephen, like contract with us. We're not going to bother you. Just like build your projects. He didn't believe us originally, but after a month, he was like, this is crazy. Like, you guys just letting me do your work. And uh, we, we made, I think, an intelligent bet at that point. We, we, we said this drama is going to blow over. The fundamental technology, right, is good. Like, the, the vision that, uh, that, the, that the Brightness had, it's something that's really, really solid. And we thought, you know what, even if the foundation becomes dysfunctional, there's enough people who are smart and motivated that will launch this chain. So uh, at no point during that whole crisis did you see the serious builders, the people who were really committed, the people who were you know, spending 12 hours a day building stuff stop for even a second, right? People kept building, drama came, drama went. And you know what? Yeah. When the new foundation came in, all the collective work that people had done in those challenging times, it was there and we could build on it. And that's how Minute was launched in, in the year 2018. And ever since there have been, uh, there, 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 there's been periodically, there's been doubts about Tezos. Sometimes, you know, the price goes down, people kind of get frustrated. Sometimes, you know, the, 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 it, it's just justified. Sometimes people are, are sort of, they, they look at the pace, like you said, they look at the pace at which other blockchains are moving. But I just want to underscore how hard it is to properly build stuff. When we build stuff, like the reason we're attracted to Tezos is because we like to build stuff correctly, right? Like build it right. So functional programming and uh, uh, sort of using uh, using well-researched tools and methods really important to us. But uh, when you when you work with so much care and diligence, like you're you're going to move a little bit slower, right? And 
I think I think that's natural and that's healthy. But the flip side is, it's like an iceberg, right? It's moving, and, and the, but the, but the sheer the force that it's carrying, it's huge. So look at Protocol 007, which I guess we'll talk about. But uh, just look at the stuff that's contained within it. Now it might be released in one go, piecemeal, whatever. But there are certain things that put it ahead of the curve. Uh, for for some really important things like privacy and staking. Already having the staking economy on Tether is something so advanced that very few other competing chains have it, right? The fact that there was a successful chain, POS chain, running in 2018 was a big achievement. These on-chain upgrades, you know, if, if you're not, sometimes I feel, and this might be a little bit of a bias, but if you're not sitting there, you know, in the in the dark corner of the office with the glow of the screen, waiting for this protocol upgrade where so much is going to change in one fell swoop. You, 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 you know, you, you made all your preparations in advance, you tested everything, but you know, there's no, it's, it's not like the matrix, right? There's not the architect that's pressing the buttons in the, in the, in the center of the matrix, the whole chain spontaneously upgraded itself at some point. Uh, I, 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 I even forgot the date, but the first time the upgrade happened without, you know, any central coordination, spontaneously happen and without any issues that was that yeah. was like almost a magical moment right like that, that, that's like one of the craziest things i've seen in my life I've, I've, uh, you know the, it's, it's like the first time i saw the web and i saw like what was possible so people just sort of discount the staggering achievement that have been these on-chain upgrades so far like, it's, it's a remarkable act of engineering and i and i yeah. hope at least some people appreciate how mind-bogglingly Incredible it is, and the fact that it happened in a decentralized manner. Right. So, uh, I, I, you know, I, I really hope people don't discount that. Look past the shiny crypto kitties or whatever. <laughs> Look at the engineering that's happening. Yeah. Look at this upgrade that's about to come out. Uh, and and you know, again, I, I I want to freely admit, in terms of applications, there's a lot more that can be done on the Tezos side, but uh, just in terms of the the raw technology and the platform. I mean, once this thing, once all these uh, protocol 007 features are out, you, you can take all of these like little, you know, crypto kitties and DeFi applications that you like, and you can just transport them one by one if you want. Or mm-hmm. we build something new and novel that's only possible on Tezos. Right. Yeah, like the contrast, I think, in the crypto industry versus traditional development of software is, it's really, really different. Like, I feel like in a traditional company, people will applaud you for doing testing, right? Uh, but but like in crypto, it almost seems like a lot of times uh, there's this mentality, let, let's just put it out there now. Uh, people don't really think like there's a lot at stake. And if something happens, let's address it later. And I think that's partly, I, I think that's due to two things. Like the the first thing is, you know, there seems to be like this, this group think kind of thing that we're still uh like really early in the space and like in some aspects we are but especially this year and and perhaps the end of last year uh you're really you you really start to see uh different applications of blockchain in the actual real life you know not just in the crypto vacuum uh and that makes it super important to like test 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 and for something like this project where like testing is essentially like built into the process, that's 
that's really that's really 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 good and i think the second aspect is is just like um in in blockchain now especially like the public blockchains your blockchain is tied to a token and that token is like being traded every single day for for the whole day right it's not like uh it's just traded during the week and then the weekend uh it it's off right it's not like that and so i feel like that brings out some sort of like sentiment that just keeps people like constantly what's new what's new what's new because uh they're um, they almost use price as an indicator of what the project is actually doing meanwhile like i think for people like you and me we know that price is mostly being influenced by people who like make the markets right uh a lot of it is just probably the exchanges themselves you know and they contract out to firms to keep the liquidity going and you know from that people are extracting actual sentiment about the project's progress which is completely the wrong way of doing it uh cuz many times you know it does not reflect what a project is doing and we know that because there's a ton of scams out there that are pumping yeah honestly there there's been a few times you know people ping me they're like do you see what the price of tezos is sometimes it's supposedly low sometimes it's high I'm like i have no idea yeah like, <laughs> on the saying like i have no idea i'm not looking at the price now i do care about the price but like on a 10 year horizon right so but uh my my number one grouse within the tezos community because i want to make at least one controversial statement is uh like if you're if you're working within the tezos ecosystem um and you're developing tooling or products or whatever assumedly you're doing it because uh because of the things that the protocol values right like things like testing and proper proper uh software hygiene but i've i've noticed that uh even you know this is our number one growth as as cryptonomic as a company we take a lot of care to have really high testing levels in our code follow uh correct procedures so most of the tools that we put out they're at 70% test coverage or higher as an example of the kinds of uh measures we take because we're we're conscious that not only in the public space do we want to have tools that are secure and work well obviously perfect security is not possible but we try as much as we can but there are a whole lot of tethers tools where you know they're not following the same kind of discipline they're not they don't write tests and they have they're getting uh you know pretty widespread adoption in tethers So my message to the Tezos community is if you care so much about a protocol that is so um whose whose linchpin is you know doing things right doing it the right way then all the tooling around it should be the same you shouldn't be using things that are so fragile that that you know the developer didn't even write a test so this is something we have to be careful about especially yeah. as some uh mature applications are built right like w- which handle millions even hundreds of millions of dollars so we have you have to be really careful just having a a secure well written protocol is not enough the tooling around it has to also be built by people who are conscious yeah. of, the, of the responsibility of using those tools yeah i think the moral of the story is just if you're actually interested in a project Uh you should probably base your sentiments on the primary source of news instead of something secondary like price. Uh so I know a lot of people don't really understand the in-depth tech and well I guess that's that's why 
we're here, Will, right? We're here to explain <laughs> stuff to people right. through through blog posts and podcasts. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Communication is so important. And I, you know, I, I would agree here that the Tezos ecosystem as a whole, and including a lot of people, right? I'm not, I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, the foundation or whatever. I'm talking about cryptonomic. Uh, all of us could have done a much better job of communicating all the work that's being done, all the really cool stuff that's happening. You know, we spend so many hours, so much blood, sweat, energy, and most importantly, energy, uh, sorry, opportunity cost, right? Like a lot of people working on Tesla stuff, they could be doing yeah. other stuff, but they are focused, they keep uh, staying focused on Tezos and they keep building. But, you know, we, we can work as hard as we want. We can do all this cool stuff, but if you don't constantly communicate and we don't have to shill, we don't have to uh, lie, we don't have to pump and dump. If we're just open and we just talk about all the stuff we're doing, and certainly, Cryptonomic has been very guilty of that. Like we're we're so many times where our team has just been happy to sit in the corner, just keep working, pushing out code. But yeah, I, I think uh, what you guys are doing right now is really really important, and we're gonna try to uh, catch up there as well and be a bit more regular and communicative with the community. Yeah, and that's a lot of good points you made there uh, in regards to tooling, but um. This has been probably the most talked about topic right here. So um, protocol 007, I believe that is in testnet currently. And just about a few weeks ago, I think it was Blockwatch Data, they put out a really good post. I don't know if you had a chance to read that, Vishuk, but what, what, what is your current thoughts on 007? I think you mentioned a few earlier, but... Where, where, where do you see this going forward? Yeah, so we still, to be honest, we don't still know what the specific 007 right. that's going to go out on the chain is because it's, you know, it's, it's a really ambitious upgrade that's proposed. And, um, you know, I've, I've, seen, um, I've seen some comments here and there about how they're trying to roll too much in together and uh, uh, they're, they're trying to do too much. And I, and I understand, I sympathize, but... I just want to say that sometimes um, sometimes different pieces of work, even though they look unrelated, might be uh, interlinked in their in in at their basic level, right? Sometimes it's hard to sort of chop up an arm without affecting you know like the the kidney, right? Like it's, it's all one right. sort of ecosystem. But uh, in 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 any case, uh, there's the Protocol 007 has it's announced so far, which has some really cool and uh, necessary features. And then there's how and what's actually going to be rolled out. So what's on the testnet today, you know, it may it may go out in the form that is today, or it might go out in several pieces. Who knows? Uh, what's important though is because this is an ambitious protocol upgrade, we do everything right. And uh, again, you know, Babylon last year was uh, a really uh, impressive and large upgrade but it didn't go it didn't it wasn't without its hitches uh, there, 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 there were a few issues in it being rolled out and a lot of it had to do with testing but I'm really glad to say that as a, as a community we have all kind of learned our lessons whether it's the tool makers the protocol developers whoever so um, uh, you know, Cryptium has been one of the teams involved in 
07. So Adrian from the Cryptium team got in touch with us, informed us about the changes. He said, do you have any questions? And then he, he, um, he, he said, please give us feedback. So this is a much more collaborative process. And uh, it feels that this, uh, no piece of this protocol is going to go ahead without buy-in and confidence from all the major stakeholders that it's good to go. So that maturity in just rolling out 007 is really good to see. And uh, we haven't done our formal sort of uh, perusal of uh, 007. We're actually going to start in September, which is almost here. So it's going to affect every part of our tool stack. It's going to affect the indexer. It's going to affect the wallet. It's going to potentially, it's going to affect our libraries, the, the cloud service, everything is going to touch a little bit. So it's a lot of work. And the extent of the work also kind of, you know, the amortization of the work also depends on what's going to be rolled out. At this point, it's really hard to say uh, precisely what the timelines and stuff are going to be, uh, if you ask us. But the major work, right, which is for everyone to look at the protocol uh, code, the changes, get little things fixed, get that confidence that their tooling is working. Everyone tries it with each other's tooling. That, I think, we're going to do right this time. And that's going to be a really good harbinger for future protocol upgrades. Now, a few specific features. Um, the changes to the baking keys. I know there's a little bit of controversy over it, but... Um, um, you know, staking has become such a big deal. You know, staking has become uh, like an economy by itself. So uh, there's, I, 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 I'm not a baker. I don't know. I'm, I'm not good friends with any bakers, although I'd like to be. So I don't know. Uh, I, I can't speak on the economic aspect of it. But uh, the in, in terms in in terms of infrastructure, there are some changes around management of keys and how keys are used to manage a baker versus how they're used to kind of uh, secure it, uh, that has to be evolved. And uh, it's good to see that some measures are being taken. Now, the community is going to go back and forth. Some decisions are going to be made collectively. I'm sure it's something reasonable will come, come about. I don't have any strong opinions. But it's good to see that maturity come through. And this staking economy is a really big credit to the Tezos platform. Because, you know, Ethereum still, I, I, I actually don't know what the current Ethereum 2.0 roadmap is. But by the time they're even at a stage where they can have this sort of on-chain staking economy, it's going to be a while, you know, by, in that duration, who knows what we're going to build in the Tezos ecosystem uh, with just a staking economy, you know. So uh, very exciting, very exciting uh, to see Protocol 007. Yeah, and I, I definitely think there's, been a lot of lessons learned uh you brought up babylon specifically uh definitely a lot more testing getting done and uh very exciting to see um brian did you have any thoughts that you'd like to add well i think it would be interesting to have you back on for uh for a podcast after the upgrade goes live um you know there's going to be more to discuss uh at that point but but for now, like before we wrap up, I just want to uh, take some time to discuss the various um, things that you guys do. So specifically, I wanted to talk about your developer stack. Uh, so you know, you you have things for the cloud, and then you also have uh, JavaScript API, I believe. 
Uh, and then there's also, yeah, uh, a product for querying the, the blockchain. So can you step through uh, those, those different things and kind of describe the process of how, like if someone wanted to start to use these things, uh, what would be the, the process of like, what would they do first and how those uh, pieces all fit together? Yeah, so uh, really glad you asked this. So the, the intention is to have an end-to-end -end tool stack. And what that means is we have several pieces and they all fit in together really nicely. So if you're using any part of the stack, any other part of the stack is going to be really well-behaved. Mm -hmm. So uh, at, the basic, at, the, at the basis of everything, by the way, uh, the... At Cryptonomic, all the projects are generally named after things from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So that was a novel like in the 19th century by, uh, uh, by Jules Verne. And it's essentially a book about sort of technological progress and using uh, sort of changing uh, the, the, the legacy system and moving, trying to move it to a new world. So a lot of the names that you encounter now will be from from that book. Uh, the 1958 Disney movie is also good if you're, if you're younger. But anyway, Nautilus, Nautilus is the sort of spine of everything. So Nautilus Cloud, so if you go to nautilus.cloud in your browser, that opens up our cloud service. So there's a variety of settings, like there's hackathons, there's new developers coming in, and usually when they come to a new blockchain, they have a horrible time trying to set up a blockchain, an API, blah, blah, blah. Here, you just log in with your GitHub account and you have immediate access to, uh, to Tezos nodes, testnet nodes, the API. And we're going to be adding more tools in there. And yeah. we're going to really scale it up because, you know, like it or not, even though we're in the decentralized space and decentralization is really, really important to cryptonomic, uh, one of the really, one of the linchpins really of the growth in Ethereum, unfortunately or fortunately, however you see it, is Infura, right? It's a centralized point of failure that uh, 10 billion calls or whatever are being made to every day. So all of these DeFi applications and whatnot, they're all running off Infura. Infura goes down, uh, kiss your uh, decentralized ecosystem goodbye. Yeah. But, but like it or not, it's very important for adoption and for prototyping and building new products. That's why we have Nautilus Cloud and we've been slowly augmenting it over the past uh, 12 months. Mm. We have tiering, we're going to have billing on there soon. So, yeah. And it's really scaled. So uh, no matter what part of the world you're using it from, uh, you shouldn't have any issues you know, developing your yeah. application. You don't have to deal with infrastructure. But Nautilus also has a Nautilus core aspect which is being worked on right now. So, so unlike Infura, you know, with Nautilus Cloud, once you develop your application, the question is, okay, and now what, right? Like, do, do you want to keep deploying to your users through the centralized mm. point of failure or do you want to be able to quickly spin up your own infrastructure Got in it. your own corner of the world? So Nautilus Core uh, coming out soon lets you take that next step. So if their application is being developed on Tezos, they can decentralize quickly. Yeah. So that's just fine. Then yeah. we have uh, we have Kansi, which is an API for blockchains. Um, it collects all the information from the Tezos blockchain and makes it easily queryable. You can query it using a REST interface or a GraphQL API. So all kinds of developers can hit it. It's written written in Scala in a functional manner. It's got 
properly tested and everything. So it's rock solid, highly, uh, highly scalable. Unlike some other competing products in the Tesla space, it's decentralized. The license, we don't care. Run it on your own infrastructure. Never have to talk to us. And uh, we're really happy that multiple exchanges, dApps, and uh, other projects are using Kansi mm-hmm. for for their needs. And we don't even we don't even deal with them. You know, they just because it's open source. Kansi.js is, uh, is is a client side application. So if you're building a a web application, a website, or whatever using Tezos, it's really easy. Again, written in TypeScript in a functional manner. Seventy two percent unit test coverage. Mm-hmm. As I told you, the oracles were built on Concei.js. Uh, so many other projects are being built on Concei.js. Uh, so I I, 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 I think I think I can safely say it's the most popular yeah. library for in, in the Tezos ecosystem. And you know we work really hard on it, and uh, we welcome all the contributions coming from other people. And then uh, th- there's a few other smaller projects which we can talk about some other time. Yeah, and they'll be coming out anyway. But Galleon, right? So Galleon is the wallet. So Galleon is actually Cryptonomics deployment of Tesori. Tesori is an open source white label wallet framework. If you're a baker, you want to deploy your own wallet, uh, get in touch with us. We'll help you in two hours. You'll deploy like your own branded wallet. Um, so Galleon is a Cryptonomics deployment where we, ideally we want everyone to kind of be uh, proficient and run their own wallet. Don't trust us. But you know, there's so. But but we want to reach a wide audience. So Cryptonomic has something called Galleon. The code base was recently redone from scratch, gut rewrite. Uh, it's about to go. It's about to undergo yet another audit by Trail of Bits. Uh, it recently underwent an audit, both the wallet and the library uh, mm-hmm. by by Apriorit. Um So that's really the stack, and everything yeah. works together. And there are people making other tools. Like you know, Concepi or Oro that leverage the stack, so yeah. everything kind of works in concert. And when there's a protocol upgrade or what have you, we we just change the foundation, and all the developers and everyone they don't have to know yeah. the intricate details. They, their application will continue running. That's awesome. I uh, I just have a, a few questions, if if you don't mind, please. Uh, yeah. So if we step back to the Nautilus Cloud versus Core. And I, I think the distinction there is really important. So um, right now, the cloud works via like you log in via GitHub. And what and so that gains that gives someone access to, you know, a network of nodes that you guys run. Right. Uh, so what's how does the process work? Like, do they get a specific endpoint or uh, does like the GitHub integration make some kind of special key for them that they can use? Uh, so how does that work uh, with respect of like if 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 someone will sign up and then they log in, uh, what kind of endpoint do do they get there? Yeah, no, you you, you got it exactly. So you, you log in with GitHub. Yeah. There's a bunch of endpoints listed for different APIs, different types of nodes, and uh, you get your own API key. So that's to prevent abuse or uh, overuse things like that. So once you have that API key, you can stick it into any cryptonomic product or library. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's the same infrastructure that's hosting the Galleon wallet. So yeah. there's people watching it 24-7, trying, keeping that thing alive at all costs, sometimes uh, not sleeping through the night. But at any 
point of the day, someone's watching over it. So you don't, you know, as a, as a user, you don't have to suffer. Uh, right now, everyone's getting access to the same shared infrastructure. Yeah. But that's not going to be the case uh, if things go well in a few months. Because mm-hmm. then you'll be able to pick whether you want to use that shared infrastructure or do you want us to bring up uh, on-demand specific infrastructure to you. That, we feel, is really important for the enterprise use case. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, we, do, we do these enterprise projects, uh, quite a few, few of them actually. But so far, all the action in the enterprise side has been on Ethereum, right? People are either, either want to work on Ethereum or, or Bitcoin. Right. And that's not just because of, you know, raw popularity. There's also some necessary tooling. Mm-hmm. So this ability for, uh, for having dedicated nodes and, uh, and, and all this cr- other tooling that Cryptonomic and other, pro- other projects make, which you yeah. get for free, uh, whether you're, you're deploying like a mainnet node or testnet or you're making your own protocol or you're just making a private network, that's really, really important. That's the first thing that any, uh, any enterprise is going to ask for. Is there solid infrastructure available? Got it, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's the objective. In a few months, it is to have that kind of ISO 27, triple mm. uh, compliance and all of that, that gives a serious company confidence to start building right. on Tezos. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So for that enterprise targeted product, would it be maybe for an enterprise that does not want to use core uh, to spin up their own node? And then they can instead use like this special, uh, I guess, more extravagant thing on cloud and then you know, maybe they say, oh, we want to deploy um, this kind of infrastructure and you guys kind of make that happen? Yeah, it actually works both ways. So a lot of these really big companies, really mm-hmm. huge corporations, they have these uh, siloed teams that are doing new product development and they right. kind of have access to the public internet, right? So they're yeah. trying to quickly prototype and build POCs and interesting applications. And for them, they just want somewhere to log in and just they just want to enter some credentials. But wherever they log in has to meet certain legal and infrastructure requirements, right? Yeah. So for them, they would actually start off on Nautilus Cloud. Then they build something if it gets traction within their company, then they would use something like Nautilus uh, Core to host their own infrastructure within their own uh, within their own uh, company network. On the other hand, uh, there are companies that are comfortable sort of doing the prototype internally, but when it comes time to hosting this infrastructure, they don't want to do it themselves. They want people who have the expertise mm. to run nodes on their behalf. And, yeah. uh, and, and also... Uh, you know, the, the, for, for those who want to show adoption, they want multiple node runners. So even if they're making a private network, they want to show that certain nodes are running on sort of third-party infrastructure. Yeah. So for, for both of these directions, we have this Nautilus Core, Nautilus Cloud combination. Yeah, that's that's really important. And I think more blockchains need, especially Ethereum, right? Where you said like a lot of the dApps that people use every day uh, rely on a single endpoint, which is pretty dangerous. So, you know, it's kind of like the difference between WordPress.com and WordPress.org, right? Where uh, if you download WordPress, like you can install it on your own node or you can use um, some other hosting. Yeah. And, you know, I I feel it's 
absolutely essential. It doesn't even matter like if Cryptomic is the one who's rolling out a successful Tezos cloud service, but there has to be something like this. Otherwise, mm-hmm. Tezos is just not going to get the, trans- uh, the traction, right? Like yeah. something like this absolutely needs to exist. There yeah. have to be people who, are, who can show up at your doorsteps, you know, at, at a major company and say, you, you want to run Tezos? We have the expertise. Uh, we understand exactly what your needs are. We can do your, uh, you know, they give you like these massive spreadsheets, right? Like they give you the, these 300 item spreadsheets. And you're like, you know what? doesn't phase me. I can have that filled out in a day, send it yeah. back to you. Let, let's get the show on the road. That's what's needed. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not, you know, even if it's not us who ends up doing it, completely fine by me. Someone needs to do it yeah. as soon as possible. Yeah, well, thanks for uh, giving us a brief outlook on uh, what you guys do. I think maybe uh, I'll probably reach out afterward to talk to you about it more because I'm kind of a blockchain infrastructure nerd of sorts. So yeah, Will, did you have any uh, thoughts before we close this out? Uh, Well, actually, before we close it, I wanted to ask uh, Vishek if he could talk about Aranax. Uh, I was going through your Q2 development update, and I don't think you've talked about that, but is that in beta currently? Yeah, so uh, I'm glad you asked because uh, it's um, it's something of a something of a, a pain point for us at the moment. To be honest, gotcha. uh, we always felt there was a need for proper blockchain analytics, right? All you see are block explorers everywhere. And they're really good if you already know what you're searching for, right? Like you're looking for transaction hash, account ID. But you're really it's one-dimensional. It's really one-dimensional. You yeah. want to be able to ask open-ended questions. You want to you want to be able to say, hey, like, what were the top five transactions between this time and this time? Or who are the top ten uh, top ten account holders delegating to a certain baker? Or like, which is the baker with the biggest growth in delegations over a six-month period? Things like that, and uh, the you know to 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 be able to create an interface to answer questions like that, it's really important. But um, I I I think the the tool we built was maybe a little bit earlier in the process, mm-hmm. and also it's it uh, the the underlying data set uh, is difficult to understand for a lot of people. So we realized we have to get back to the product, redesign it in some ways. So we kind of uh, put our feet off the accelerator for a little bit, but we intend to go back and we we have a three-prong approach. So the first is we're going to do a little bit of redesign because the interface is really, really powerful. Believe us, like we, we use it all the time to like debug stuff and it's fantastic, right? So we need to make some tweaks to make it easy for regular people to use. The second thing is it needs better entry points. So if you just put a little abstract interface in front of people, they're not going to have any incentive to use it. So yeah. We're bringing out these tools called uh, Periscope and Harpoon that provide visualizations and baking metrics. And they, they source all this data that Aranax does. But if you, if you want to drill down, if you want a more advanced view, then it'll open up into the Aranax data navigator. Um, and then the third is, you know, user testing, user testing, user testing. But we're also waiting for, you know, things like StakerDAO and other projects to become highly used and successful because it's only then that people will want to see what's going on on StakerDAO, who's, 
like who are the whales like where's the money flowing right. in and flowing out from so still think that tool is some some version of that tool is really essential this mm-hmm. year maybe not so much but next year hoping to bring it back with uh with you know gusto mm. you yeah, need time well, to do it right what was that you need time to do it right Yeah, you need time to do it right. And one of the things we did was, you know, we we presented the Tesla Foundation with this really grand plan, two-year plan in 2018. We're going to build this, we're going to build this and we're going to build that. And uh, uh you know, and and we said we need a team of team of a certain size. What we didn't foresee was uh the the sort of challenge of building all these multiple like seven projects at the same time protocol upgrades are happening and we're kind of like maintaining them on the fly. So, uh you know you have to be really parsimonious on what you work on right like you always want to deliver value to the community so uh to some extent uh that that's why we deemphasized um arnax a little bit this year in favor of working a bit more on the other projects where people got tangible value making right. sure that all the new projects that were coming out were properly supported when stakerdao was coming out adding support to that in galleon um and and then things like that so um you know uh but 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 it's good because we were still able to uh, deliver those seven projects in the two year time frame that we envisioned and hopefully uh you know in another another two years they're going to be uh extremely widely used we'll have some really impressive metrics to share on the show and uh you know we'll we'll, we'll all feel really good about what's happening in the Tesla ecosystem yeah absolutely um I know we had TZ stats uh, release a new version earlier in the year but definitely looking forward to when this gets fully released. Yeah, I mean TZ stats is wonderful. It does a fantastic mm-hmm. job. Test block really big fans. But I do feel the block explorer use case is a little bit, bit orthogonal to open-ended query of the blockchain. Right? Yeah. Like really getting into the especially if you're a developer, you're running a dapp, you want to know like you you want really easy insights into who's who are my main users what uh types of contracts are being called the most that kind of that kind of uh insight which doesn't exist by the way really for ethereum or any other chain uh yeah. you know they they just have the graph or whatever no other blockchain has something like this so we definitely want to bring this idea back in full force and something that is going to be productively used by not just developers and analysts but also you know regular people. Uh yeah. So, um Brian, if you don't have anything else to add, I guess we can go ahead and wrap this one up. So, sorry guys, before uh, before we end, it, it would be sure. it would be uh it would be really bad of me not to put out a PSA. Um it's really important. I I I know I know you guys know this really well. I know I know most of your listeners <laughs> do, but just for the record, it's very important. as maintainers of galleon we feel is very important everybody uses a hardware wallet because um the you know the price of tesos is going up yeah uh, it's only going to be more successful whatever holders you have there are so many scammers <laughs> you know like we, we we've had such a hard time we had to shut down our galleon telegram chat because there were, and telegram such a terrible venue for having cryptocurrency discussions it is terrible oh, yeah <laughs> the worst thing you can do is jeff Yes, yeah. exactly. Stickers and Jeff. That's what it's good for. Nothing else. And the worst feeling in the world as a as a maker of a wallet as people who work on it. You know, we have people who are 
working with user tickets all the time. Like it's their full-time job just to like assist people. And you have so many different kinds of users, you know, and sometimes you hear these stories of people getting scammed and it just, it's the worst, you know, like people, uh, I remember this heartbreaking story. It wasn't even Galleon. They lost it on this other wallet and they're trying to reach out for help. They put their uh, daughter's college funds uh-huh. into oh, crypto and it's, it wasn't just Tezos. It was other coins as well. And they lost. So, like, you know, just spend the 60 bucks and you get the peace of mind. Every major wallet will work with your stuff. You'll be safe. Every, everybody will be safe. And we just, you know, we, we want crypto to be fun for everyone. And all it takes is just this little device and you can have all the fun you want in crypto and you'll be fundamentally safe, especially yeah. if you're on Windows. Yeah. There's so many scammers oh, yeah. and they're, trying, they're, they're really smart people. And the worst thing is because of jurisdictions, we can't, we can't even go after them on the behalf of our users. Mm-hmm. There's a scam galley site that everybody knows about. And the worst thing is we know it's a scam site. We know like they're, they're the ones who are uh, stealing a lot of user funds. But because of, you know, it's, it's an interna- the cryptocurrency is international, but jurisdictions are national. It's so hard. So please just get a hardware wallet. I just wanted yeah. to see that uh, and, and make sure that it got out. Yeah, and I'm actually glad that you gave that PSA. You know, we, I still see stories, you know, of people getting scammed. Uh, well, I, I would say probably almost daily, but we've really tried to fix that as much as we can within Telegram. You know, we have the automated message that goes out. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, pe- bad people are going to do bad things. And they have a massive financial incentive to do it. So, you know, yep. you know, I, I, I got white hairs. The, the 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 in the two weeks before we were launching Galleon, it was terrifying. You know, I got the, the, the I got gray hairs just from that, and that's why we held back our initial Galleon launch in 2018 by two weeks because we felt it would be irresponsible to launch it without a security audit. Yeah, so security is really important, right. and uh, certainly we'll be beefing up security messaging in the wallet. But yeah, use a hardware wallet. Just trying to say it as many times as I can before you guys kick me off the podcast <laughs> use a hardware wallet uh we'll be, be sure, sure to leave links to the best ones not scam links real yeah. Links. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah but all right um vishak thanks for taking the time to come on uh but we all had a really good chat and we will catch you on the next episode of test talks radio yeah, fantastic being with you guys. Uh, loved your questions. Uh, we'll all be at Cryptomic. We'll all be happy to come on this show at any point. You guys are doing a fantastic job communicating with the Tethers community. And I feel for a long time, something like this was one of the missing ingredients. I'm really glad you guys are doing this, especially in this pandemic time where it's really hard for the community to physically Absolutely. get together. So this is a really close second best to meeting a yeah. big meeting at a bar and everyone having a beer together, but uh, it's, it's fantastic. So thank you guys.